Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of 3030 and Surviving. I am Tracy. Thank you so much for listening. New episodes come out every Monday at 9 a.m. on iHeart, Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. Continue to message me on Instagram if you guys have any ideas for new episode topics or potential guests that you'd like to see on the show and hear from on Instagram. It's 30flirtysurviving, so pretty easy to find me. Or you can send me an email as well, but please, 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 I want you guys to participate and I want to make this show something that is of interest to you and something that can be really valuable. Speaking of which my guest today is someone that I have really been waiting a long time to make a really special episode for you guys. And she is a also a podcaster herself. She is the host of the Lunar Body Podcast. She is a nutritionist um, and has her own website called The Good Witch Kitchen. So you already know right away with my love for astrology and the moon and the stars that we are very like-minded. But she has some really wonderful information to share today. Um, If you are someone who gets a period, if you are curious about your hormones, if you are wondering how our nutrition and our diet can play into our mental health or our moods, our personalities, she is the girl. I am obsessed with her show. I've binged almost every single episode. So please let me introduce to you Kristen Ciccolini. Hello, Kristen. How are you? Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for also listening to the entire podcast. I literally, (laughs) it's so funny. I normally try to fall asleep to a podcast because music, I'll want to sing along, TV, the light's kind of distracting. So I would listen to podcasts as I start to fall asleep. And I notice I can't do that with yours because it either stimulates me so much because I'm so interested (laughs) that I can't fall asleep or I get so pissed because I can't remember exactly where I left off and then I have to go back and find it. Like I can't, (laughs) you know, I've listened to other things. If it's just, you know, girl chat, it's whatever. But I need to go back and listen to every single thing. And truly, after the first time I listened, I I have watched, I mean, I've listened to, I think, almost every single one by now. You've done such a fantastic job. And as someone who knows how much a podcast takes and it involves, kudos to you and congratulations because you have done a lot of hard work to make it as successful and informative as it has been. And it's really helped me and I know it helps so many other people. So you have a lot to be proud of. Thank you. That's so nice of you. Can I keep you in my pocket just so you can say that stuff to me all the every time? Every single day. I'll just send you a voice recording every single morning to remind you. Um, before we go into a little bit more background and then start the, the Q&A, I always like to do some introductory questions. So if you'll play along with me, first and foremost, what is your age? I am 34, but I will be 35 in a couple weeks. <laughs> Ooh, happy early birthday. Thank you. So if your birthday is in a couple weeks, that would make you which zodiac sign? Virgo. Virgo. Follow on Virgo. Every, like, half my chart is Virgo. <laughs> 
So in many different levels, you're a Virgo through and through. Um, And from listening to your show, I feel like that tracks. That makes (laughs) a lot of sense. You are extremely, extremely organized. Well, I'm also a 12th house stellium Virgo. Oh. And so that's, I think that really plays into the podcast For the people at home, tell them like what that means. 12th house is kind of like the unseen, the mysterious aspect of your chart. And so with all of my, like, most of my Virgo placements there, I believe, um, it is, you know, very practical and mystical. And that's what I like to say that my whole thing is. <laughs> yes, yes. And that's a good combination to have. That's a really nice combination. Kristen, what is your relationship status? Complicated. <laughs> that also, might be yeah. a first really? for the TFS podcast. We, I don't think I've gotten to complicated yet. Interesting. Well, I so I ended an 11 year relationship back in February so it's kind of like an in-between moment right are now. you guys trying to work it out no. oh, oh. <laughs> I thought you meant complicated because there might be a rekindling yeah. <laughs> wow okay 11 years yeah. heck of a long time yes was that a hard decision for you or was it the like you knew you needed to make it I knew I needed to make it it was a long long gradual end I think mm. <laughs> you know it's just one of those things where like I wasn't sure if I was ready to do it and it was just like it it took so long for me to actually do it but now that I've done it I'm glad I did <laughs> yeah I know to muster up the courage for something like that 11 years I mean that person's involved in every single aspect of yeah. your life and you grow to a level of comfort where you're just used to having them around mm-hmm. and that starts to create I think a lot of gray area for do I like this person versus is this relationship really successful and like you might be in love but I mean you might love them but you're not in love anymore you know it's mm-hmm. just it's it's challenging so well especially since I mean, we started dating when I was 23, so I'm 34 now, so it's, Heck it's of a lot. I'm a whole other person. Yes. <laughs> There's so many areas of my life where I've grown, and yeah, I mean, that's that's also what we're here to talk about, right? Like yes. Like whole time in your life where you're just a whole new person. Yes, and you know what? I love that you get to kind of have this blank, you know, slate or this clean slate in your 30s because it also ties into our whole idea of the show where, you know, we're just getting started here too. Mm -hmm. This is not the downward spiral for us. There's so much more to do and to see and to try. And so it's really exciting that you have endless possibilities in the the romance department. So I'm excited for you. Keep us posted. I feel like I'm in my renaissance era, you know, like rebirth, whole new person. Not the Beyonce run. <laughs> it just came out, so it's like on my mind. But yeah, just I'm like discovering also who I am because you know you're with someone for 11 years and your identity is all intertwined. And you know mm-hmm. what is me? What is him? What do I like? And and now I'm figuring all of that out. So yeah, exciting time. Woo-hoo. Well, I am in your corner, and I can't wait to see what unfolds. Where are you from originally? I'm from Lemonster. Okay, Central Mass. Okay. I grew up there, and then when I was 18, I came to Boston for college, and I never left. <laughs> Yay! So you're what um, part of Boston are you in right now? 
Right now I'm in Jamaica Plain, but okay, I've nice. lived in the North End. I've lived in Mission Hill, Alston, Fenway. I lived in Fenway for eight years. Oh, wow. Yeah. All over. Yeah. Wow. So <laughs> and, you know Boston very well. Yes. And so I said my birthday's in a couple of weeks. My birthday's September 1st. So how many times have I moved on my birthday? Oh, my god! <laughs> I will not be doing that this year. Thank God. <laughs> Good for you. You deserve a break. (laughs) And then lastly, I always like to ask a little fun question. And I feel like this is on theme for today. Do you have a favorite card in the tarot deck? I do. Of course I do. (laughs) (laughs) And what is that card? It used to be the hermit. And now it's the nine of pentacles. And I'll explain. So the hermit, it's funny because both of these cards are nines. So the hermit is the ninth card and that they're, um, it is the Virgo card, and that wasn't intentionally chosen. I just like sure, <laughs> it just all aligned. So you know, with the Hermit, what I really liked about it is I feel like a loner a lot of the times. I've always grown up like feeling that I'm in my own world. <laughs> you know, I'm my own person, and you know, don't have a huge friend group just because I've always been that way. You know, mm-hmm. I'm better on my own. <laughs> but that's part of it. But also, you look at the card and you see. You know, he's holding a lantern. He can only see a few feet in front of him. And it's about like self-trust. You have to trust that you know the path, that the answers are inside of you. So I really like that. But now I feel like in the last few months, I've been more aligning with the Nine of Pentacles, which if you look at it, it's a woman. She's in a garden. She's got this beautiful dress. She's enjoying the fruits of her labor. And, you know, they're both about self-sufficiency. But I feel like this one is just, you know, actually experiencing and enjoying all the work that I've been doing right. on myself. You You're know? getting to kind of finally reap the benefits of exactly. all of that hard work over the years. Yeah. That is really beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that it wasn't arbitrary. Like, of course, there's intention behind which cards are your favorite and that your favorite can change depending on what sort of season you are in your life. So yeah, of course. that is wonderful. Okay. So Before I start asking you some questions, I did a little bit of an introduction, but I think that everyone can really introduce themselves best. So for for someone at home that's listening, if they have not heard of your podcast before, they haven't heard of Good Witch Kitchen, um, how would you describe the two? So Good Witch Kitchen is just my website, the name of the business. Um, I'm a nutritionist, functional nutritionist, also certified in culinary nutrition, which is, you know, the application of actually, you know, all the nutrition knowledge that you have. It's good to actually know how to use it. Yes. (laughs) And then so I work with clients and then also I have my podcast, which is The Lunar Body, where I talk about menstrual cycles and magic and, you know, practical and mystical, I guess. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So let's start from the beginning. How did you get into nutrition? I used to work for a social media company back in 2014. Around that time, I, you know, I was I loved it. I worked in uh, restaurant marketing and you know, it was great, but it, there was very little work-life balance. Yes. And I had to be available for like the 9 to 5 and then, you know, restaurants their big time is at night. So I have to be available for that too. And so it was just, there was no work-life balance. I was not sleeping well. I was not taking care of myself and I was depressed and it just, nothing felt good. So at one point, I think it was 2015-ish, there were there was like a boom. Of, there was a wellness boom in Boston. There were like free classes everywhere. And so I was just taking advantage of all these free yeah. classes going around town. Um, and I just started committing more to my 
well-being and taking care of myself and exercising more. And um, I used to go to this class where the woman would teach. She would teach uh, um, like a hit class, a high intensity mm-hmm. class. And then she would feed us afterwards and then talk about all about the food and what it does for you. And I never really connected before like specific foods doing specific things for my body like you always hear um, you know when you're growing up like eat your vegetables right but like when you ask your parents why they're like because I said so yeah exactly (laughs) like you don't know why really so I just started making those connections and I thought it was so fascinating and I don't know I just got really fixated on it and I wanted to learn everything and then I realized like okay I think I want to do this yeah and I'm the kind of person when I like something I want to tell everybody so I was definitely the annoying person at first like oh my god you have to learn about this and all this healthy living stuff I was very annoying um I know that I'm so sorry to everyone (laughs) (laughs) you are not annoying at all it is so helpful well I made it my job so now it's like (laughs) if I'm telling you this thing it's because you want to hear it um so (laughs) but eventually Actually, I, you know, I got into that culinary nutrition certification. That was mm-hmm. the very first way that I had transitioned into it. And then eventually I just saved up just so I could quit my job and start a business. And that's what I did in 2017. I started the business. Good for you. And I love that you mentioned how your interest in it or maybe your questions about it is really what started the momentum for you, because I do think it is extremely true that the more we understand a concept, the more likely we are to execute or participate when things are we don't understand or we can't grasp. It's we don't we don't associate the value with it because it doesn't make sense to us. It's not adding up. So, mm-hmm. yeah, my vegetables are healthy, but if you could actually go a step further and say this, you know, vegetable does this and this food product does this and you give me more concrete reasons why, then I'm willing to get, try it. You know what yeah. I mean? Because it, it, it makes sense to me. And I think that that's really important because lack of education can be a huge factor as to why people aren't able to implement these sort of things into their lives. Yeah, 100%. And I, I'm very, very big on obviously the education aspect, though I will not give a recommendation without telling you why. Because I don't like the idea of being like the authority. I want you to know that I am getting this information somewhere. It is backed up by evidence. And I want you to also decide for yourself and like hear the information. And then you're educated. You make an educated decision. And I just think that all of this, like when I first started, I was like, everyone needs to know this stuff. Why don't we know this stuff? Why didn't I grow up knowing this stuff? And then now, like that's, that's also how I moved into hormone health because I was asking a lot of questions and then was very inspired by everything that I was learning. So if you guys are going to be watching YouTube clip or you already have watched a YouTube clip of the show, you will notice that Kristen's earrings are a star and a moon. So they are again, very on brand. (laughs) So I'm curious, what came first? Your witchy ways, as you like to call them on the show, or this interest in health and nutrition? Had you always been um, interested in the witchy ways aspect or that kind of come after? So I would say that it's the witchiness started first. Okay. So back in high school, I was like very into like hippy dippy stuff, you know, but that wasn't really witchy, but you know, just like the more natural, I was always like in- more inclined to enjoy natural living kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But then 
the witchiness came a little bit later. I had a friend who, she I've told the story before, but she gave me these gypsy witch cards. Yes. They're like these playing cards. And she was like, don't fuck with these. They're real. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, what are they? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Proceed with caution. <laughs> yeah. So I was just like, oh, whatever. All right. <laughs> but then, you know, we, we would just talk more about the stuff and like she would do tarot readings for me. And then, um, I don't know, I just got more interested and all that kind of stuff and it just was a natural um, just another thing that I got fixated on yeah. <laughs> I had to learn everything about <laughs> so then insert the lunar body podcast yes will you in your own definition describe what you mean when you say solar energy versus lunar energy because that's something that comes up on the show a lot as well yeah so I try to keep things gender neutral because we all have, you know, I, I just want to be more inclusive because it's a it's something that needs to happen in this space, especially with science. It's very binary. When you look at the research, that's when I usually speak um, with like men and women. Mm -hmm. It's because the research is stated that way. And I want to make sure what I'm sharing is accurate. But I do try to keep it inclusive or neutral. And so that's how I kind of refer to our different hormonal cycles. So with people who are assigned male at birth, their hormonal shifts are over the course of 24 hours. So their cycles are 24 hours. It's like, you know, same thing every day, pretty mm -hmm. much. Um, and I'm speaking in generalities, so, you know, like we all have different things that right, affect us right. every day, but um, just in general, it's a 24-hour cycle. Whereas people who are assigned female at birth, our cycles are over the course of four weeks or 28 days on average. Again, another generality. But so I, a lot of people will say this as like masculine and feminine energy, which is something that we all have, no matter your gender. But I prefer to look at it as lunar and solar because it mirrors those cycles. So mm -hmm. the 24-hour cycle, of course, mirrors the solar cycle. And the 28-day mirrors the lunar cycle, on, you know, again, general. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's how I decided to talk about it. That makes a lot of sense once you clarify and break it down. I think it's wonderful the effort that you've made to be as inclusive as possible because I know that it can be defeating when so much research and science is very black and white. And like you said, not only are there variations between what you may have been assigned at birth and what you identify with as now. There's also variations between just if you were assigned birth at a woman and you still identify as a woman, right? Mm -hmm. Not every woman is the same. Right. So it's a really great way to be as, I think, inviting and welcoming as you, you possibly can. And also there may just be people who are inquisitive or interested and and they want to learn and then that way maybe some of the shame can kind of be taken away for, from it for them as well right because mm -hmm. why can't they look into this and research this and, and learn from it um, it doesn't need to be specifically gender-based but of course I know that there are some things that only apply to certain people but it's it's again kind of going back to the education mm -hmm. and and the more information that we have the more we can can do with it so I do want to kind of lean into menstrual cycles and our hormones. It's something I haven't had the chance to talk about on the show before. And I also think that it's not something we talk about at all very right. often. Um, it is a, a fact. 
every we all deal with this right it's something that we cannot change and whether it's quote unquote regular or quote unquote irregular it still is a part of women or you know people who are assigned female at birth so to peel it back to the most sort of simplest form with all the knowledge that you have what would you describe as a typical or quote unquote normal menstrual cycle? So a regular cycle would be around 28 days, but it can be 25 to 35 days. The just, I would look at consistency. Mm -hmm. So if you are 25 days every month and that, you know, that's fine. If you're 35 days every month, that's fine. It does not have to be an even 28. We just talk about that for simplicity. Yes. <laughs> the The only thing I would look at there for if it's a regular is if you're 25 one month, 35 another, and just wildly swinging okay. in between. Also, regular flow level, like the volume, mm -hmm. that's really everyone. It's dependent on what you experience normally. I mean, some people have very heavy. Some people have very light. There's an, there's like an actual number amount that I could give you in like milliliters, but we don't have to go there. <laughs> but, you know, it's more just like paying attention to your cycle and what's consistent for you. In terms of what you should be experiencing, I don't want to say that you should be experiencing anything, but a normal, healthy menstrual cycle, there really shouldn't be anything more than like mild cramping and slight mood changes, slight energy level changes. But those aren't really symptoms. Mm -hmm. It's just what's happening in the body. You know, menstruation is a naturally inflammatory event. So you may have some mild cramping. And also, you know, your mood is tends to be more internal at in the menstrual phase. Also, your energy tends to be lower. It's not necessarily a symptom. It's just recognizing there's a process that's happening in the body and tuning into that and honoring it and, you know, resting when you need to rest. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's a lot of the work I do is, you know, helping people understand those shifts in the cycle. And rather than freaking out that something's happening, it's like, no, this is part of your body. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, but I know also a lot of people experience actual symptoms, you know, really severe cramping or very heavy flow or very severe mood changes and cravings and all these different things. I mean, you all know. So. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so it really, there isn't one single thing maybe that you would say is abnormal. It's more a consistency across the board. You know, some, some one person may experience a symptom every single time they menstruate that somebody else doesn't. But if as long as there's that pattern there, that might just be their normal and that's okay. It, yes and no. So yes, consistency is good in terms of tracking and understanding your body. But again, if you're having like severe cramps every single month, that doesn't mean that that's just your body. It means your body's telling you something. Right. So, you know, you should just have mild symptoms in a normal cycle. If there's anything more than that, if it's causing you pain, if it is keeping you from actually living your life, if it's really affecting your day, that's something to look at because it is an indicator of your health and also if you're noticing different things, once you start to tune into your cycle and you kind of know your patterns, like for me, I really don't get very much in the way of symptoms, like maybe a little bit of cramping, maybe like one day of feeling like a little weepy or like down on myself, yeah. you know, like we all feel that sometimes. But then like, for instance, this past month, I felt breast pain and I was like, that's new. 
So I'm like, what have I been doing differently? You know, so you can start to think about those things. And, you know, maybe it doesn't come back next month. And maybe it was just that cycle. So you can start to think like what was going on in the past month. Maybe it's stress that shifted things a little bit. Maybe I was sick. So you can kind of use the symptoms that you're experiencing as a pathway or like breadcrumbs to look for whatever's happening in the body. (laughs) So would you recommend that we log our symptoms or keep track of them so that we can kind of notice if there's anything new that pops up or some patterns that may be created? Absolutely. I'm so into cycle tracking. I will say that with the political climate lately, I would stick to pen and paper because there's a lot of issues surrounding privacy and who knows what information could be sold or shared if you're tracking your period in an app and you happen to get pregnant and you don't want to be, you know, we we don't want to go there. So I think also, you know, apps apps can go away. So, you know, you can have your information on pen and paper and know how it's done so that if, if you were to ever not use an app or, you know, if you were in a situation where you could not be using these apps, you know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would just recommend at the very basic, like just track your energy and your mood and then also your symptoms. So if you are experiencing any symptoms, track those so that as you start to work to improve it, you can see if there's any changes as your cycles go on. And it does take time. To, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's not necessarily like one cycle and you're done, you know, yeah. so it, yeah. some of these changes can take some time. But as you work on things, you'll start to notice. Okay. And I think at the core of our our cycles is our hormones and what our hormones are doing, right? So our hormones can tell us a lot about our health. And I've recently been reading a lot about this, listening to your podcast. I've also listened to another podcast, but I've been hearing a lot about our cycles being our fifth vital sign and how it is a major indicator into our health and really our hormones and what our hormones are doing inside of our body. Could you briefly describe what our hormones should be doing and how they can impact our health? That I know it could be an entire episode, (laughs) but okay. So let's like break it down. So how, you know, the first two typically like two weeks of our cycle, we're, we're creating a, a lot more estrogen. Where yes. the latter two, we're creating a lot more progesterone. Yeah, so I can take you through like the hormone changes in the cycle. Okay. Because if just hormones in general, there's so many that govern everything from like your fertility to your hunger, your metabolism, sleep. There's so many different things. So Mm -hmm. um, with the cycle, there's two phases. The first is the first half is the follicular phase and the latter half is the luteal phase. But for the purposes of my work where I want you really in tune with your cycle, we split it into four. So the first day of your period, That starts your follicular phase technically, but it's the menstrual phase, and that's um, your rest. That's when your hormones are your lowest. And then we move into the follicular phase. That's when things are growing, estrogens rising, and then also follicle-stimulating hormone. (laughs) Um, That rises, that peaks towards the end, and that is what signals to your body to trigger ovulation. Um, Luteinizing hormone also peaks then. And then you ovulate. Your ovulatory phase, it's very short, but it's just a few days of like feeling super high on life, basically. (laughs) Um, You feel sexy, energized, motivated, confident, all these really great things. And then from that peak, your luteal phase begins and 
your progesterone takes over as the dominant hormone. And that's a more internal feeling hormone. So whereas you may have felt super social in the first half of your cycle, the second half you're like, fuck everybody, you know, yeah. so let me take care of myself. Um, and that's great. We all need, you know, that, that period of internal tending. Right. So progesterone, if you do not get pregnant, it, it progesterone is the pregnancy hormone. So progestation, think of that. So if you get pregnant, that will stay high. If you don't get pregnant, that will drop and the drop signals to your body to start the shedding process and then menstruation begins. So that is uh, testosterone peaks at ovulation too. So that's where the sexiness comes from. Yes. <laughs> so those are the main uh, reproductive hormones. So estrogen, progesterone, follicle stimulating hormone, luteinizing hormone, testosterone. Mm-hmm. Which I think is important too, because again, going back to kind of genders, you always associate testosterone with males, but mm-hmm. it's we have it too. It's yeah. not only in men. Mm-hmm. We also have testosterone and that can also impact our bodies, our moods, how we feel, everything, you know, and yeah. maybe for a shorter period of time than some of the others or whatever it may be, but it is there and it is present. Yeah. And these hormones also impact so much in your, in your life. Your, like I said, your, your social life, your creativity, your motivation, mm-hmm. um, your energy levels, your uh, productivity, your ability to solve problems, you know, yeah. <laughs> all these different aspects of our life. So I teach a, a class called Workflow, and it's all about, you know, using this information at work. So it's just, there's so many different ways that you can apply this information. I know. So <laughs> with the, I know, and I could I, I could have you on here for seven days straight. I could we could talk about it forever, but I I think that's maybe as granular as we need to get it right yeah. now. Playing off of that, knowing how many things it affects, is there a good indicator for either a symptom, a, a mood, or something happening to us in general where you might think there's potentially an imbalance? with hormones is that when you're feeling too depressed is that when you're feeling like you don't want to leave the house or you have no sex drive is that all coming from an imbalance with our hormones yeah so like i said with pms there should or um with your cycle there should only be very mild symptoms so the thing is we have been primed to just accept that these things are going to happen to us so things that are not mild, we consider mild because we're like, whatever, we have to power through it. So it's like, you know, because you think about like, I think I saw a TikTok video where I forget how they administered the pain, but they made a man feel like he had period cramps Mm. and he couldn't take it. And the (laughs) girls were like, uh, you know, suck it up. This is (laughs) nothing. Yeah. So, I mean, we are just, you know, we're primed to just believe that this is going to be our life. This is going to be it for us. So the spectrum of mild to severe is really warped in our minds a lot. So it is hard to say what could signal an imbalance if you're if you are uh, if you have that different sense of it. So if there's if you're very uncomfortable, if there if there's new things happening to you, if your sleep's disrupted or again your libido like you mentioned, if you have severe pain, if you have wild mood swings, if you have crazy cravings. I will say though, with cravings, we tend to think of that as a symptom when often in the luteal phase, in the latter half of your cycle, our metabolism is stronger, so we need more food. But Mm -hmm. oftentimes we're not eating more food. So, you know, it's just our body telling us like, 
eat something, please, you know, yeah. like, meet your needs. But then we're like, oh, my God, I have PMS. I'm like a garbage disposal. You know, I can't <laughs> control myself. But really, it's like you just need to eat. <laughs> yeah, which I it's a perfect segue because my next question to you is going to be sort of how diet plays into this. I think that the reason why I wanted to specifically break that question down and, and ask about that was because so many women, you know, maybe it's just while I'm having my period or the couple days before or a couple days after, where if there's something that seems off, they might think there's a problem, but we kind of forget how long, you know, it's all a cycle and there's, and there's multiple weeks that are involved. So if you're experiencing something three weeks later, it could still be a part of this bigger picture here that's going on. And that's why I think that talking about our hormones and how much our hormones have to do with this and understanding that is important. But say there is an imbalance happening or something that is atypical for for me and my cycle. How can diet help with that? So when people ask me how do I eat for my cycle and they want to know all that information, I I really want to give them the information, but also I want to stress that you have to have the basics in place. So you can have all these different foods that I can tell you that have all these nutrients that support your cycle. But if you're not sleeping, if you're not eating well or enough, um, if you're not exercising, if you're stressed like crazy, that is all going to make a bigger difference than the food that you're eating or like the specific foods that you're eating. So you, you have, I think with any hormonal imbalance, you have to have those things in place. The main thing is blood sugar regulation. So that is a foundational thing to your health especially hormone health. So with any period issues, any um, reproductive health issues or cycle-related issues, I should say, blood sugar balance is going to be key. And the way you do that is by balancing your meals. So having protein, fat, and fiber in your meals. If you're snacking in between, uh, ideally not much snacking in between just to give your give your body some time to bring that blood sugar back down from the meal but of course if you are hungry i want you to eat i'm very i'm all about intuitive eating um so but also having your meals meet your needs so that you don't have to eat every two hours you know yeah so that's really important is having that blood sugar balance protein fat and fiber will um, slow the release of glucose into your bloodstream so that your energy stays even, your moods um, and your blood sugar is spiking and making you feel crazy. And another way to do that is to make sure that you aren't spending too much time between meals either because then your blood sugar dips. So that can be an issue as well. So blood sugar balance is definitely huge. Which is really interesting because I think that the lay person like myself over here who maybe isn't as educated on this topic, I associate blood sugar with diabetics. Right. And we don't always think about, you know, we all have to worry about our blood sugar. Mm -hmm. And yes, maybe some people monitor it more often, but our eating patterns are correlating into what our blood sugar is and therefore can create potential issues or or prevent that regulatory system or process that our body needs. I wouldn't normally look into my blood sugar, but when you mention it like that, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not specifically recommending this, but what I have done for myself, because I, I mean, when I tell people to do stuff, I want to know what it's like for them too. So I got myself a glucose monitor and I just wanted to know, I just wanted to try it out, you know? So yeah. I, I realized that 
when I was feeling super anxious or, you know, just really just not having a good day, like I took my I took my reading and my blood sugar was super low. And I was like, oh, my God, I need to eat. Wow. <laughs> and so that was interesting because, you know, either I'm busy working and I'm not really thinking or a lot of us are um, conditioned to not eat until a certain time. Um, I tell clients a lot, like time is a construct. If you want to eat lunch at 1030, you can eat lunch at 1030. Right, right. But sometimes we just don't think about that. We look at the clock and we're like, oh, it's not noon yet. I can't eat lunch. But that was just a really interesting finding for me personally. That was how that's kind of how low blood sugar manifests with me is just that anxiety and just like really can't focus you know, yeah. just really having a bad day. But you know, you feeling I'm feeling like I'm going nuts. And then I, I, tested my blood sugar I saw that it was low and I was like wow I, I didn't realize and I I'm not even hungry right now but I guess I should eat something that's really <laughs> interesting really interesting but then that also shows you how many or how like wide-ranging your hunger signals can be too like you don't mm. you don't have to necessarily wait until you have actual hunger pangs if you're starting to notice so I guess for me you know low blood sugar I guess a little bit of anxiety is like a little like telling me okay you should probably eat something soon yeah that's a that's a really good tip but you don't have to wait till you hear the like gurgling of your stomach right and I guess it makes sense when people get hangry too right some people you might get anxious someone else gets a little angry It, it makes sense it can affect our moods those are those are also indicators the workshop that you mentioned prior how curated an individualized is that for the people who who take it and sign up So, I mean, I don't, it's not like a one-on-one thing. It's just a workshop that I teach for whoever wants to take it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I go through the cycle phase by phase, talk about what the energy is like in each phase and how you can apply that to your work. Like different activities, like best time for meetings would be ovulation. Best time for brainstorming is your follicular phase. Obviously, you can't. Uh, schedule everything according to your cycle like I always say like you can't ask your boss for a meeting right (laughs) when you're ovulating like sorry right right (laughs) but if it is a you know a couple days to choose from in terms of windows of time if I can push it or make sure I do it now you know it's it's something that's it's a nice tool to have in your tool belt and just get you you know a better understanding but also to Put our best foot forward and to play into those different things that are happening to us and and use them to our advantage. Yeah. And you can also work around them, too. So maybe, you know, you are menstruating, but you have a huge meeting that you have to run like, oh, my God, <laughs> that's yeah. the complete opposite. Yeah. But, you know, then you can prepare and you tell yourself, all right, the rest of the day, I'm not doing shit. Yeah. Or, you know, the rest of that week, I'm really going to take care of myself because that day is going to take a lot out of me. So. There's going to be things that we can't change and that we can't control, but we can plan around those things so that we're better able to approach those things without it wrecking our whole week, you know? Absolutely. I love that. And you also talk a lot about cycle syncing on the show. Will you explain what that is? Yeah, it's exactly what I'm saying. So, you know, getting in tune with your cycle, so understanding the physical aspects of it. So the length of it, typically your symptoms, how you feel in each phase. So that's not physical, but emotional. Okay. Uh, but mental. so overall, so that, that is, yeah. that is how you would define cycle syncing. So yeah, first just understanding what's happening and then 
syncing with that. So you would adjust your activities based on what's happening in your body in each phase. So just like I was saying with work, but also your social life, your dating life, your, you know, all this different stuff that you would apply, you can apply to it that way. Mm -hmm. So that way you're honoring your body. So also think about exercise. That's another way that you can do it. So really just understanding your cycle and then applying what you know to the rest of your life. Awesome. And based on what you were saying before about our diets, I think it's safe to say you're probably not a fan of intermittent fasting (laughs) or juice cleanses. Are there any diet tips or diet diet fads that you do recommend? No. Okay. <laughs> I I like that. A very clear answer. You're just into intuitive eating yes. and, and listening to our bodies. Yeah. So I think I, I want to stress that intuitive eating doesn't mean that you ignore your health because I think that that's a big misconception is that you just eat whatever you want with no regard to your health. Right. But intuitive eating really is about it's it's similar to cycle thinking where you are understanding your body more and making intentional decisions. It's like cycle thinking, but for your diet, diet thinking, I guess. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, there are 10 principles of it's a framework that two dietitians came up with. Um, and I, I really, I just think it's great. I mean, we diet culture is just so it's everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's just really it, it pulls us away from our intuition. And so I am all about getting us back yes. into our intuition. So, you know, intuitive eating, you can also you can apply what you know about cycle syncing to intuitive eating. Or if you're starting with intuitive eating, you can apply that to your cycle syncing, too. So it all works together. Love it. You mentioned Oatly on your show <laughs> at one point and to summarize, she talks a lot about how this advertised milk substitute supposed to be great for us actually was causing a lot of problems and wasn't so great for us. Some of the ingredients that were in it, and you can maybe speak to it a little bit more, but for me sparked the question, are food alternatives always better for us? Or sometimes we're better off really sticking to the real thing? It depends. So with with an alternative like that, I mean, if dairy doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. So you you have to go with an alternative. Right, right. Um, There was an article that was published about Oatly saying how it was unhealthy, how it was like or worse than drinking soda or something because of the sugars and all that. Exactly. Yes. And so I was talking about you know, it's like, it's not that bad, you know? (laughs) I mean, if you, I mean, just, it's all about education and understanding what you're putting in your body. And so knowing that, okay, yeah, oat milk has sugar in it. So if you have a latte and you're filling it up with oat milk, just understand that maybe that's why you're feeling jittery and anxious later is because you had that blood sugar spike. And then you decide what to do with that information. Mm -hmm. Um, So alternatives can be better depending on your needs and tastes. It's more just understanding what's in it. I always stress knowing the ingredients. I mean, you don't have to. I'm not like one of those people where like you have to pronounce everything. Um, <laughs> but also just, you know, be aware of what you're putting in your body. In um, the quantity that yeah. you're putting in as well. Because I think that was really what you broke it down to is, sure, could you equate it to a can of soda Maybe, but how much of it are you actually drinking? If you're just putting a splash in your coffee, this article doesn't really apply to you, you know? Mm -hmm. But if you are doing 
a large latte and there's one or two cups of of oatly or you're having you know multiple coffees per day then maybe you want to keep track of how much you're consuming yeah so that's another thing about intuitive eating is educating yourself about how things affect you Mm -hmm. and then making intentional decisions from there. So that's kind of what I was talking about in the episode is, you know, understanding there may be a lot of sugar in this. And if you are drinking a lot of it, take note of how you feel and then decide. Yes. My last question for you is if you're comfortable, I'm not saying she, she start every single episode saying that, you know, I'm not here to give you advice. You should still talk to your doctor. This is just general information for public consumption, but it may not be specific to you. So again, I'm, I want to be very clear. I know you're not telling people at home what to do, but I am curious, where do you stand on birth control? Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> um, so birth control, it's necessary. I think that it's important that we have access to it. It is, it's important for bodily autonomy. It's important for us to have for, you know, financial security, job security, physical safety, symptom management. So it has its place. Are any of the options that we have for birth control perfect? Absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, there wasn't there male birth control that they were testing and they yeah, couldn't deal with the Yeah, it's never come the to the market. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, interesting. So, right. <laughs> but there are a lot of risks involved. There are a lot of symptoms that people deal with or side effects. So it's another thing about education and intentional decisions. So mm-hmm. I talk a lot about a natural method of birth control called the fertility awareness method. And I very much stress that it is not to be used for birth control until you really know the method because there is that that's an issue with it. So again, not every, not every um, avenue that we have is perfect. And one of the reasons this is not perfect is because there's a great amount of user error because Mm -hmm. it is, it relies on your observations, physical observations in your body. And when it works, it works very well. But there are rules to it <laughs> that yeah. some people don't follow. So, And also, I think, too, if, if you're going to, you know, come off a hormonal birth control and then go immediately into that method, it may take a cycle or two for your body to, to regulate. So for you to be able to use it properly and accurately, mm-hmm. it may take a minute to, you know, really get the gist of because your body may need to level itself out before Mm -hmm. you can really understand what's happening when it happens and how you know yeah but I do recommend tracking at that time so you can see the changes and understand so you have all that information to work with and then you finally are like oh now I get it now I see what all this means (laughs) yeah Um, but it relies on two or optional third but there's cervical fluid and then also your basal body temperature and we don't have to go into it but I think I want to tell you about the temperature because I think it's super interesting but well the presence of cervical fluid it tells you that ovulation is coming mm-hmm. and then your your episode she has an episode you guys it's called what's in my underwear <laughs> and it, first of all the best title ever you like that <laughs> but it is again like i swear i'm your number one fan i'm like i am the lunar body podcast fan it. club um <laughs> president right here um it is so good and again Speaking back to what we were saying, we don't talk about this enough and it is something that we feel ashamed about. It's Mm -hmm. something that we feel like is taboo to talk about. Um, But the reality is every woman that's sitting next to you or, you know, anyone who's having their period, they're probably experiencing the same things and we need to talk about it more. And again, 
education and understanding is key. And I just thought it was such a powerful episode and so well put together. And it kind of was a huge stress reliever, you know, Mm -hmm. at the same time to be like, okay, these are what to look out for. This is normal. This is maybe not normal, but it was a really wonderful thing to know, okay, I'm not alone here. You know, this makes sense. And to just get down to it and talk about it and just open up the conversation. So when she refers to cervical fluid, she's referring to discharge. Mm -hmm. There's many different terms that you can use to explain it, but that's a really great episode to go back to and to listen to um, if you guys are curious to hear more about that. Yeah. What's in my underwear? So actually funny that you mentioned that. So we don't talk about this enough, but I'll never forget in college, I remember being at a friend's house and I was in her bathroom and she had like we were, we were like out partying one night, but maybe this is why this was here. But there was her underwear was like hanging up. Her used underwear was hanging up like on the back of the door. And I remember like seeing that on her underwear. And I was like, oh, me too. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but like I wasn't going to ask her about it, you know. But so I kind of wanted that episode to be like you know, that moment. (laughs) We're like, oh, let's talk about it. (laughs) That is such a funny story. I love that you just shared that. That is like, that's real. That's how I know you're a real one. I appreciate you for that. Um, But sorry, I completely cut you off. But I just wanted them to know that they have that resource of that episode to go back to. Because again, we could be here for another seven days if I wanted you to go through it right now. But then you would not be able to eat dinner tonight and have a life. So continue as you were. I'll just, I'll just quickly <laughs> say about the temperature. So be, uh, before ovulation, it's t- it tends to be around like 97.7 and below. And after ovulation, progesterone rises and that warms your body up a bit. So you'll see a clear shift in your temperatures, usually like 98 and above. So that's really interesting, first of all. But what I really enjoy is that, you know, when you're tracking your temperature every day, there is your luteal phase is between 12 and 16 days, and that doesn't really change. So you know that once you ovulate, you have about a couple weeks until your period comes. And then you, there's like that predictor, but then also you get your – you test your or you take your temperature in the morning you see it's back down to 97 and you're like all right it's coming you yeah <laughs> so I think it's so a cool. coming <laughs> well so you know like all right gotta bring a panty liner with me that day or something yeah. <laughs> you know that's when spotting starts or whatever but you have a couple indicators so where if you're coming off birth control and you usually rely on that to know when it's coming you have other ways to do it so that and the copper IUD are my two preferences I... long story short <laughs> Yes, I love that. Okay, I want to ask you, are there any myth busters that you'd like to highlight, things that you hear about that aren't necessarily true or commonly believed that don't apply to everybody? Yeah, so a myth that I I really wanted to share this, I was very excited to share this, Um, your fertility doesn't drop dead at 35. (laughs) Amen! (laughs) Say it one more time for the people! So they talk about a fertility cliff where, you know, they they say that it's much harder to get pregnant between the ages of 35 and 39. They call it a gestational, uh, a geriatric pregnancy. I know. That that is so rude. It is so rude. So rude. (laughs) I'm not a geriatric. There's a lot of rude terms in gynecology. There There's are. like a ho- they call it like a hostile uterus or like or no hostile cervix. I forget what it is, but or wandering uterus. There's like a lot of weird stuff happening. Yeah. Any any <laughs> negative adjective just throw it in there. It's probably been used. <laughs> well hysterectomy, hysterical, you know. Right. Um, <laughs> she could go on and on and on. <laughs> I've got lots of tips. But so an often cited statistic is that 
between the ages of 35 and 39, it can take at least a year to get pregnant for a lot of people. And yes, for some people, but that's not always the case. When you take a look at that research and see where they're citing that research from, just guess what year it's from. Mm, 52. 1952? Yeah. Okay. No, it is actually taken from French birth records ranging from the 1600s to 1800s. What? I thought you were going to be like, come on, Tracy. Okay, it's like the 80s. You know, there's been 30 years. No, actually, another fun fact is that women weren't required to be included in medical studies or research studies until 1993. And that only accounts for the National Institutes of Health, which is only 6% of clinical studies. So another fun fact, but back to 1600s, how fucked up is that? So now, you know, we have so much medical advancement and so much more knowledge about the body. And we're still citing this research or these statistics from the 1600s to the 1800s. Like I'm thinking my great grandmother had eight children. She was having babies into her forties and that was so long ago. And you know, people now that are doing that too. Absolutely. Absolutely. They are all doom and gloom. Wow. Okay. (laughs) I'm so glad you said that. And I think, you know, we're not saying that as we get older, there aren't potentially of course, yeah. more risks, but it also isn't impossible. And I think that's what we want to make clear here. Yeah. You can still have a perfectly healthy pregnancy, 35, 36, 37, 42. You know, Absolutely. if you're taking care of yourself and, and, go, and taking the right steps. Yeah, and I, I think a lot, I mean, I can't speak for all cases of infertility. Obviously, there's so much that can go on and can contribute to infertility. But I think a lot of perceived infertility is lack of knowledge, like not knowing about that ovulation window. We have a six-day fertile window, and those six days is when you can get pregnant or are when you can get pregnant during your cycle. It's not like, you know, mean girls where they say every time you have sex, you'll get pregnant and die. (laughs) So, you know, there's lack of knowledge. And then also we have so much stress and that really can affect your cycle too. And that changes when you ovulate. And, you know, there's just so much that we don't know that. Absolutely. I could go on forever. (laughs) So where as women do you think we could do better? I think that what you're doing is a perfect start, but generally speaking, do you think that there's something that we could do better when it comes to having these conversations and building more of a community and a sense of togetherness when we're dealing with these issues or just not even issues, just Mm -hmm. our days today? I think the question is really what can men do better? And it's everything. Ooh, girl. <laughs> but there's also, well, so there's an episode of my podcast called The Patriarchy Versus Your Body. And that's that. Listen to that. Um, but in terms of, and that's what I think men can do is, you know, it starts at the top and that goes into that. I, I won't go on about that. But for what we can do is just talk about this more, mm-hmm. you know, normalize period talk, normalize, you know, yeah. <laughs> asking your friend. <laughs> Looking at your friend's (laughs) underwear hanging on the back of her door. That's where you can start. You know, get closer with your friends, okay? (laughs) I love that. And if you don't mind me asking, all of this, did it stem from, was there anything personally for you that made this so important for you to get involved in? I know that there was a buzz going around in the city of Boston, but for you, was, was this particularly of interest for any specific reason? I'll be honest, I I didn't have any issues with my cycle personally. And I 
for some like sometimes I feel weird about saying that because it's like some people might think like, oh, then how can you help people? But I think that makes me a better practitioner because I really listen rather than, you know, sometimes you get a practitioner that's like, well, I didn't experience that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so like you must be exaggerating, you know, but I feel like I feel like it's a bonus or a, a perk. The reason I came to it was because I noticed that so many of my clients were coming to me for other things, but they also had these raging period problems and they were like, that's oh, fine. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, but you are not going to work for like multiple days a week, you know, yeah. or like you're, you're out of commission and you're really in pain. And I wanted to know why that was. And so that's what just sent me down a whole rabbit hole of like patriarchy and things we don't know about our bodies. And yeah. I wanted to teach everyone. Well, thank you for everything that you are doing. It truly is so important. It is so helpful. And we need more people like you out here doing this. What is the one thing that you, from your opinion, you wish women knew sooner? Is it, you know, is it starting when we get our health classes and in elementary school or whatever, we don't really know a ton and then we kind of learn along the way. Is there anything that you think we're finding out later in life that you wish we were being implemented perhaps in those classes at a younger age? I think that, you know, your cycle is a strength and we are taught to believe that it is like, I think, what was it when I looked up something, uh, the curse, we call it the curse. I looked up curse because I wanted to see like the etymology and stuff and because I'm weird like that but <laughs> I saw that it was it's an idiom obviously for obviously <laughs> it's an idiom for menstruation and it's just so funny to me that that's how we're taught to look at it and it's really a strength and knowing about it can it's really life-changing information and it's it's information that will never leave you and I, I mean I get people all the time saying like oh, god I wish I knew this earlier like people who are older in their 40s 50s 60s saying like well I'm not I'm not doing that anymore but you know, yeah. I wish I knew that when I was your age, you know, I wish I knew that when I was trying to have kids or understanding more about my body instead of fighting against it all the time. Excellent. That is the perfect way to end this on such a positive note. So again, Kristen's podcast is the Lunar Body Podcast and her business is Good Witch Kitchen. So the website is goodwitchkitchen.com. .net. .net. I was too cheap to pay for .com. Oh, stop it. <laughs> um, and on Instagram, it's Good Witch Kitchen. Yes. Yeah, so I don't spend much time on Instagram anymore. Um, you can find me via email mostly. I, I send out emails all the time. If you guys have questions or you're interested in potentially the workshop, anything else you have going on or coming up that people can participate in, any courses or things they should look out for? Yeah. So I have a course. It's called Cycle Magic. It's about all this stuff. Um, if I do one-on-one -on -one coaching, but if you are interested in working on your cycle through that, I highly recommend going through the course first because it's everything that I teach with one-on-one. -on -one, so it's cheaper. <laughs> um, wow. It's also... <laughs> that is someone who cares about you guys. Well, it's also at your own pace too. If you're a person who needs structure, I also have like a course schedule in there for you. I try to try to please everyone, yeah. you know? <laughs> well, thank you again so much for being on. And again, thank you for everything that you're doing. This was a ton of fun, but also so necessary and so needed. And you guys, I cannot recommend her podcast enough. Please listen to it. And if you have more questions, you can send them to me or send them to Kristen. Maybe we can answer them on the show or we can do some stories and just kind of have like a Q&A going because I think this will spark a lot of conversations and that could be kind of fun to continue this off air as well. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. Of course. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.